I am dripping as I walk around an empty Elliott T. Bowers Stadium on the campus of Sam Houston State University. It's 8 a.m. and it doesn't feel that hot, but I'm still sweating like crazy as I hike the stadium stairs to check out the home of the Bearcat football and track teams. It's obvious both teams use the stadium. There's a track that runs around the football field, and next to the end zone, the mat for pole vaulters is just waiting for someone to land on it. Tackling dummies are just begging for football players to smash into them. And tackling sleds on the field are ready to be shoved around. There is no fancy indoor training complex like you would find at the University of Houston, their neighbors to the south. The 14,000-seat stadium is where the Bearcats practice and play. It's an average-sized stadium if you play in the football championship subdivision. But the Bearcats aren't playing in the FCS anymore. 2023 is the year they graduate to play in Conference USA and the Football Bowl subdivision. Sam Houston's playing with the FBS big boys now. And wide receiver Ife Adeyi and linebacker Trevor Williams are ready to become trailblazers. That's always been a goal of mine, literally to play FBS football and to play uh, college football at the highest level. And now I have the opportunity. It's a challenge for us because, you know, a lot of people aren't going to think we're going to win as many games or play up to par. Welcome to BYU Radio's Big Stories, a show dedicated to the incredible tales surrounding the opponents of the BYU Cougars. I'm your host, Cleon Wall. In this episode, we will talk about the Bearcats blazing the trail to the FBS with a coach who has reached the highest of highs and lowest of lows. Plus, the turbulent trail the football team took to win a national championship and how one woman personifies the school's motto, the measure of a life is its service. Sam Houston moving from FCS to FBS has been talked about for a long time. Well, it's something that before I ever got here. This is Sam Houston head football coach Casey Keeler. Maybe 15, 18 years ago had come up about possibly maybe getting in the Sun Belt. And so, you know, that talk had happened and I think we kind of moved, moved on. And then really, you know, sounds crazy, but once Texas and Oklahoma decide to leave the Big 12 to go in the SEC, that's when all the movement happened. And we were in the middle of an historic run. We literally had the greatest single calendar year in the history of college football. In 10 months, we won 21 games, three conference championships and a national championship. So we became a hot commodity. And the Bearcat players were so grateful they were on fire at the right time. Basically my whole life, I've dreamed of being an FBS football player and to finally be able to say it is almost not surreal, but very exciting. This is offensive lineman, Ethan Hagler. Coming out of high school, I had a D2 and NAI offers, and then I decided to go to Blinn. Blinn is a junior college in Brenham, Texas. And then when I was at Blinn, I got a bunch of the, uh, like Sam Houston and uh, other FCS offers. But I had talked to some FBS schools, but nothing too serious. Sam Houston running back Zach Herbachik's initial chance at big time college football came with a caveat. I had a few looks from like from Utah, Baylor, but they all preferred walk on me because of my size. Now it doesn't matter. While the Bearcat squad celebrated the news to play at the highest level of college football, Coach Keeler wasn't sure this was the right time. I have a conversation with my AD about, hey, there's a lot of stuff out there. And he goes, yeah, you know, some conferences have reached out to us and, 
you know? And he asked my, my, what my thoughts were. And I said, uh, originally, I was a little bit hesitant. Are we ready for this? And then as time went on, I realized that, you know, this is what we need to, to move forward. Then when it happened, I had to address the team. And it was really hard because you're talking to a group of men who are trying to win their second national championship. They're trying to win, like, whatever it would have been, like 25 straight games. And, you know, here we have to talk about, hey, listen, you know, you're going to read this tomorrow in the newspapers. We're moving to Conference USA. And they're going to talk about the fact that we technically can't, you know, play for anything for at least a year, maybe two years. Any move from FCS to FBS requires a two-year transition period, which meant no playoffs for the Bearcats. So Coach Keeler and his staff helped guys with one remaining year of eligibility to play at other schools. What we did with the guys who had multiple years or the guys who had redshirt years, we redshirted them. And I thought it was the most practical way of doing things and the, the smartest way to do things because now we have you know 15 players that we probably wouldn't have had because they probably would have transferred out. Now we have those guys in our program and they can kind of lead us into Conference USA. It was kind of hard not playing. Wide receiver Ife Adeyi played four games in 2022 before redshirting. The time off allowed me to get a whole lot stronger, allowed me to watch a bunch of more film. Coach Casey Keeler's plan to have his team ready for week-in and week-out heavyweight football had nothing to do with increasing the reps in the weight room. You know, you get great players that demand a lot out of them, and you, and you develop a culture. And, and our culture has a lot to do with love and trust. Um, and I always tell our players, you can't love somebody unless you know somebody. You can't trust somebody unless you know somebody. Unless you know somebody. So let's get a chance to know each other. We got things where we'll have an offensive coach and defensive coach team teach maybe a chapter of a book, and then it rotates around. And by the end, every single coach has got a chance to coach every single player. We really work hard at intimately getting a chance to know each other. Where did you learn the love and trust motto that you're trying to practice? Well, I, I think it's a combination of my father was the youth baseball coach, the youth basketball coach, the youth football coach in this little town. And so I saw how, you know, he mentored and how he worked with, with, with the youth of the town. And then I don't think I really realized until he passed when all these former youth players came back and said, you know, the impact your father made on my life. It was per- pretty impactful, you know, seeing all that and hearing that. Uh, and then I played in a great college program. You know, Delaware was very much family. Played for a legendary coach, Tubby Raymond, 300 wins, three national championships. But his single greatest accomplishment was developing this culture that we called Delaware football. Delaware. That's where it all started for Keeler and where he'd hoped it would end. So how did he end up in Huntsville, Texas, leading a brand new team to the upper echelons of college football? Welcome back to BYU Radio's Big Stories. Sam Houston coach Casey Keeler knows a thing or two about quickly pivoting in life. He also understands his team's dream of playing big-time college football. When the Pennsylvania native was a teen, he really wanted to play for Penn State and head coach Joe Paterno. And it just so happened the Nittany Lions were recruiting him. Penn State was my dream school, and I can remember walking in the locker room. They were getting ready for a bowl game, and I met Coach Paterno. And he looked up at me and said, son, those are really nice shoes. I had two-inch heels on. And you could tell I was not the six-foot-two linebacker they were hoping for. I was a six-foot linebacker they're probably going to pass on. 
So my high school coach kept on telling me, you've got to visit Delaware. You've got to visit Delaware. And literally had to put me up against a locker and say, like, get this West Virginia and Pitt and Penn State out of your head. You've got to visit Delaware. And I went down on a visit. And one of the things that just captivated me was when I walked in the locker room, they had home of the national champions. I just, it just blew me away. I thought it was the coolest thing. And from that point forward, I just, it was, uh, you know, that was my place. So Keeler pivoted away from Penn State's Happy Valley and settled in as a nice linebacker for the Delaware Fighting Blue Hens. He won a national championship as a player in 1979 and then signed a couple of contracts in the NFL and USFL in the early 80s. Then it was time for the next pivot in life. Now this NFL thing is over and I took a train ride up to New York City to take an interview for a paper products uh, sales job. And I came from that, back from the interview, physically ill. And I blamed it on the train ride, but my then girlfriend, now wife, uh, Janice, knew that it was, I didn't want to do this. And so she found grad school for me and she put me through grad school and, you know, got a big break when there was an opening on the staff there and they hired me. That was at Rowan University in New Jersey, where they eventually promoted him to head coach. Then Keeler's old head coach at Delaware, Tubby Raymond, decided to retire, and Keeler pivoted again and was hired to take over at his alma mater. It was his dream job. I could remember my press conference when I took over at Delaware. And the president said, hey, listen, you know, they're coming off a four and six team. Don't talk about winning anything. And within the first five minutes of my press conference, I talked about winning a national championship. And I said, we will win one sooner rather than later. And I I don't ever recommend disobeying your boss within the first five minutes of taking a job. But uh, afterwards, he asked me about that. He said, I thought we talked about that. I said, Dr. Roselle, I said, you know, there's 80 players in the back of that room. They had to know what I stood for. They had to know what I was all about. They had to understand that I wasn't here to, you know, rebuild. I'm here to win. And win, they did. That is showtime in his fighting, baby. In his second season, the Fightin' Blue Hens won the national championship and the first since Keeler was a player. He was named Delawarean of the Year. And in 2007, he led his team to another national title game. And that's when the rumors started to pile up. So I remember getting a uh, call from my agent uh, before the national championship game against Appalachian State in 2007. This is a year I Joe Flacco. He said, listen, just be aware. You're going to have to address your team about, you know, rumors of your involvement with Michigan. That's what are you talking about? Keeler was going to be one of the backup candidates for the head coaching job at Michigan if Rich Rodriguez didn't accept the offer to become the new head coach of the Wolverines. You know, you're one of three they're going to interview. And they're going to throw your name out there because they just want to do like a little test balloon and see how it goes. And I remember at that time, my daughter saying to me, you know, she didn't understand the money differences. And, and she didn't really care because like in her mind, like I had one dream job. Why would I ever leave my dream job? And that was the truth. I wasn't ever going to leave. So when the season was over and obviously Rich took the, the Michigan job, you know, the administration and I decided to do a 10-year contract. And uh, unfortunately, after we signed that 10-year contract, I feel that they didn't feel great about the terms of the contract. Keeler lost the national title game in 2007 and again in 2010. And then uh, 2012, Injury riddled year, we go five and six, and we're loaded coming back. We're just loaded. One of the best teams I'm ever going to have. And they fired me. And they they even said in the firing, which they probably didn't want to say, but they said that 
you and your agent with this contract. And it's like, you guys are paying me $300,000 a year. My next job's going to pay me $2 million. I'm staying forever. I'm never leaving. I don't understand where we're, what's going on here. Mm. I was out of football. And, and then I lost my dream job on top of it. And I got a, a really cool phone call from Ryan Cardi, who's now the head coach of Delaware, was my offensive coordinator here at Sam Houston. And he said, hey, coach, you know, you taught us some things in life. And one of those things is that you're going to be measured how you handle your adversity. This is your adversity. This is what you're going to handle. And I can remember walking in. I was outside and walking in. I'm crying. And my wife goes, what? Who, who, who called you? What's going on? And I told her, I said, you know, Ryan's right. I mean, I always talk to our players about you're measured in life, how you handle the hard times. Not the easy times. The easy times, you know, anyone can get through those. But the hard times is when you're going to be measured. And then we were in town and ran into someone we hadn't run into for a while. And I, obviously, it was front page news what happened to me. And so, like, I'm, you know, trying to give the story and, like, so what's going on with you? And, well, I, you know, just beat cancer and I lost my job. And it just, like, my wife and I, like, just looked at each other and said, wow. Like, like life, like, why not us? It just happens. And, and we can't be making excuses. We can't feel sorry for ourselves because people are going through a lot more stuff than we're going through. I mean, so I lost a job. There's other jobs out there. And so there was a resolve. I was going to coach again, and I was going to be, you know, successful wherever I, you know, who's ever going to give, give me a chance. And I was very fortunate that the last job available in 2014 uh, was uh, the Sam Houston job. And uh, I was able to, you know, come to Texas, which I don't think anyone <laughs> had thought about bringing an East Coast guy to Texas, but it seemed to have worked for both of us. Keeler's resolve has rubbed off on his players. I guess you could say Coach Keeler has taught me about grit. You know, just coming in here, you coming into college, you think you 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 got what it takes, you know, to to start and finish college. But throughout the journey is really what when you start to learn really what it takes. I think that's the main thing I really like about him is he teaches you to be a better man. Keeler also taught them to win. The Bearcats went to the FCS playoffs the first four years Keeler was head coach including three trips to the semifinals. But he wasn't satisfied. I went to my athletic director and I said, listen, you know, we just made a great run the last four years in a row and we led the country, I think, three of the four years that, in country in scoring, three of the four years that we, we just had these great runs. I said, but I want to win a national championship. I said, so I'm going to totally retool this offense. And it might take me a year or two to get the right personnel in. I said, but I'm just telling you that the goal is not to just win games. The goal is to win a national championship. The Bearcats had a couple of non-playoff seasons and were looking to bounce back in a big way in the fall of 2020. But there was no fall 2020 season thanks to the COVID-19 pandemic. So a lot of FCS conferences decided to switch their football season to the spring. Coach Keeler and his athletic director had a decision to make. I can remember sitting in Bobby Williams' office and it was, okay, here are the options. We can go play some money games in the fall, or we can play when the national championship's going to be. That's going to be the spring. Well, he and I both were immediately on the same page. That's where the national championship, that's what we're going to do. Uh, and then what people don't realize is we, <laughs> we had a very unique set of circumstances take place uh, in 2021. We had committed to put $15 million into our uh, facility in the end zone. 
Well, that was planned for the spring. So we went a season without a locker room. Our players changed in the stands. They did their own laundry. I, I was asking 18 to 22-year-olds to do their laundry every day because we didn't have a laundry facility. So you talk about, you know, we had no meeting space. You know, we, we converted our weight room into our locker room for game day. The weather was also unpredictable. Here's Bearcat linebacker Trevor Williams. Our training camp was in January, and at that time we had a real bad snowstorm. So we were going through that and no power, no water, electricity, all of that for me me and my brother. My brother uh, was a receiver on the team. Um, We literally didn't have water for quite a long time. It was a completely different weather story the following month. And it's one of those weird February evenings that sometimes you get here in Texas. It's about 85 degrees out at 6 o'clock in the evening, and it's like 90% humidity. And I walked into our makeshift locker room, which is, you know, our weight room, and the air conditioner had broke. And now our players are sweating. They, they, they can barely get their pads on because they're in this, this sauna. Just And the wind, we have fans blowing on there, but it's blowing hot air. And, you know, Clan, no one said a word. No one said a peep. I mean, I walked out of that locker room and said, you know what? This is a special group. Because all the things that they had gone through, They just wanted to play. Football was almost taken away from them. We were forced to kind of go through hard things as a team from early on in the season, and it kind of just brought us all closer together. Here again is offensive lineman Ethan Hagler. Like when we were on the, uh, when we would be in a game, the offensive line would be cheering for the defensive line to get sacks. You don't ever, you don't want offensive linemen normally don't cheer for D linemen to get sacks. And um, I started to realize that you know, what's making us successful is that we all buy in. We're all in this thing together. You know, great example, we're down by 21 points versus James Madison, who's a really, really, really good football team. Might have been the most talented team in the country, not named Sam Houston. And we're down 21 points at halftime, and there's no panic. You know, it was you know a very simple message of, I don't have a play for 21 points in my hip pocket, but I, I bet we can get seven. And if we get seven men, it's a new ball game. And that's what they're hanging on. And we got that seven. And then we scored 28 points in, in five and a half minutes. And, and we won that ball game to go play for the national championship. I said, so you win that national championship. It is going to be forever. It's going to be immortality. The last hurdle to potential immortality was South Dakota State. Welcome back, friends. Rob Pip alongside Brian Adams. We are live in Frisco, Texas at Toyota Stadium for the FCS National Championship. Sam Houston versus South Dakota State. I don't think we were nervous at all. So at that point, we were like a set in, like we're here. We, we, we might as well just go out there and win it all. That's kind of how I thought about it. I was like, might as well just win everything since we made it this far. The Jackrabbits were the number one team coming into the playoffs and jumped out to a 7-0 lead at the end of the first quarter. Oh, baby, he's still on his feet. Ezard to the 5. Touchdown, Jaquez Ezard. Jaquez Ezard helped to erase that deficit. Oh, it's Ezard. He's got the touchdown. 15-yard strike to Jaquez Ezard. And for the first time in these FCS National Championship, the Bearcats take the lead. The Bearcats had a 17-7 lead going into the final quarter. Sam Houston linebacker Trevor Williams. You know, you do have some sort of confidence, understanding that you are up, but, I mean, knowing on the other side, the other team, South Dakota State, you know, they were 
real really good team and you know what they were capable of also so it was also having the mindset of you know we're not going to stop we're not going to quit you know until the clock hits zero trying to cut the angle davis 10 five he's in for the touchdown wow what a run by davis. football is a matter of momentum a game of momentum um and they definitely caught some momentum towards the end the he is still on his feet and he's going to take this one to the house sdsu scored two touchdowns in the fourth quarter and was now up 21 17 with 541 left in the championship game. I feel like as an offensive lineman, knowing the the caliber of players and playmakers that we had on that offense, when something bad happened, I always felt like something good was going to happen again. No, don't give up on these guys. Because we had a really good quarterback. We had good wide receivers, good running backs, good offensive line, good tight ends. And I just felt like with every hit they delivered that we were going to answer back. Like a sense of confidence feeling on that drive. Yeah, no one panicked. No one panicked. It, it was like, okay, you know, this is what we do. Fourth down and one. Oh, he's got the first down. It is Eric Smith has the first down to the left side across the 20. And so it was like, yeah, this is, this is the way it's meant to be. And again, we converted two fourth downs on that. Has the catch. Oh, he's got the first down. How about that for the Bearcats? And we just methodically moved the ball down the field, and no one panicked. The game-saving catch by eventual game MVP Jaquez Ezard put the Bearcats on the Jackrabbits' 10-yard line. I remember the announcers going, hey, they're going to kill it here, and we didn't. We lined right up, and we got a playoff. And so it was incomplete, and we got a second playoff, and that was incomplete. So it was third and goal at the 10-yard line with 21 seconds left in the game. I'm always thinking ahead. And so now I'm telling my old coordinator, the play's in. (laughs) If we score, we score. If we don't... I need you to have that next play ready to go. And so that's where my head was at. Ife Adeyi was one of the 11 Bearcats on the field. So I think the play call was a zone beater. If they, you know, overplay one player, then somebody else is going to pop up. If they overplay another player, somebody else is going to pop up. I remember we had our pass protection set up. I was sliding to the left. We had a really good left guard back then. Offensive lineman Ethan Hagler. So I was sliding to the left. I remember we had a good double team. He tried to run through the middle of us. He couldn't get through. And then I just remember the ball zipping past over my head. I feel like they overplayed Jaquez a little bit, you know, as he uh, had a seam down, not the middle of the field, but like the outer portion of the field. And I popped up open in the middle where they were kind of vulnerable. And I got my head around and the ball was on me really quick. Like, Like me and Schmidt were thinking, you know, on the same page, so. Stepping back, Schmidt looking over center. It's caught. It's a touchdown. It's a touchdown. It's a touchdown to Ife Adeyi. The Bearcats take the lead with 16 seconds to go. Oh, Bubba, what a play. Unbelievable. You know, just catching that, just falling into the end zone. Like, it was like a sigh of relief, you know. But So I wasn't necessarily trying to get too high. My teammates weren't trying to get too high. But we still felt that excitement, knowing that we just put ourselves up and the best opportunity to win this game. The world just kind of just went crazy. Very loud, very uh, exciting times to see him catch that ball. What did you do after he caught that oh, ball? I sprinted at him. I went to go tackle him to the ground. I was chasing after him. He faced fast, so I had to run kind of fast to go get to him. But I was just wanting to celebrate with him, and it was just it was good times. I was definitely jumping up and down, but I, I knew there were a few seconds left on the clock, and we had to go back out there, so... 
linebacker Trevor Williams. Got my helmet on and was ready for that last drive. The Jackrabbits had 10 seconds to get into field goal range. Williams made sure that didn't happen. They were trying to make a play to get down the field, and I remember they did just like a little toss and kind of like pitched it back to, to somebody else running across. And at, at that point, I wasn't thinking about trick play or anything like that. This is it. Heidi claps for it, steps back, looking, throwing, has a man. I was just trying to get to the ball any way I could and try to get him down. One second remaining. Bearcats trying to look for something here. The runner will go down, and the Bearcats are victorious. The Bearcats win. I remember getting them down, and I heard a little cheer, but I wasn't still quite sure how much time was left. The Sam Houston Bearcats are FCS champions. I just kind of looked over at the at the scoreboard, and I saw all zeros, and it was just like, it was literally, like I said, I'll go back to it and say it's, it's in slow motion because everything that happened in that in that split, however many seconds it was, it was, it was surreal, it was unreal. Like I said, it was... I turned and looked at the clock, and I just threw my hands up, started running across the field. Everybody else stormed off the sideline. It was, like I said, that was unbelievable. Sam Houston had achieved immortality. And so on the back of our national championship ring, it has immortality. Our national championship ring has a silhouette of a player walking to practice with his helmet and shoulder pads because the kids took their helmets and shoulder pads home every day. I mean, we had no place to put them. There is plenty of room for equipment in Sam Houston's new locker room, that Trevor Williams visits almost every day. And sometimes on the way out, he checks out that national championship trophy. Most of the time I, I use the side doors, but usually when I when I head out, I will leave out this way. So I'll come come through these doors and head out this way. And like I said, this is this is the trophy room. You can you can see all the trophies and here is the, the main piece right here that you can see the national championship trophies. This is this is everything that we worked for that season and just to have it here on display, like I said, it just kind of just gives you that reminder of what an unforgettable season that was. When we come back, how one Sam Houston grad is giving back to the children of Huntsville. This is BYU Radio's Big Stories. I'm Cleon Wall. The motto of Sam Houston State University is the measure, the measure of a life is its service. This is Sam Houston sociology professor, Dr. Lee Miller. And I think if we cast our eyes about and look for sort of exemplars of that motto, that Michelle Spencer would certainly um, be one of the first people that I would think of in terms of somebody whose life has been dedicated to serving the, the kids and families of our community. My name is Michelle Spencer. I am the CEO of the Boys and Girls Club of Walker County. We interviewed Michelle inside of the gym of the Boys and Girls Club in Huntsville. It's a nice facility that also doubles as a tornado shelter, but on this day, it's bustling with all sorts of activity. And Michelle was part of it all. So today, I play basketball. I'm 54 years old and I hadn't shot a basketball in years. And you could tell. I play cards, I learned a new card game. I won one, lost one. I played a computer game. I created a jellyfish in the art department. I taught kids that the little 
pieces of the jellyfish are called tentacles. It was a fun day. The Boys and Girls Club's slogan is great futures start here. The children that we serve here at the Boys and Girls Club come from situations that require someone to fill in the gap for the family. Whether they work shift work or they are working an hourly wage job or there's only one family member holding the family together, we fill in the gap. We step in when parents need us most. These kids come from all over the community, all walks of life. They come here just to be a kid. And that's what they get the opportunity to do. I love to hear their giggles. I love to see them run and play, create relationships with other kids. It's great. But to help the kids of Huntsville, Texas, Michelle has needed a lot of help. She started by asking a higher power to help her get the job. After securing the position, she prayed fervently to keep the organization afloat financially. When I say this, you're not gonna believe me, but we had 67 cents in our bank. We had money projected. We had money that we knew was coming. We just didn't have a timeline. This was on Wednesday. I'm standing in my office and I'm pleading because payroll is on Friday. I'm crying. And I recall me and a couple staff stood in the hallway and prayed. So the next morning, I go to the post office box and our box is on the bottom row. So I bend down and I know people that walked by thought I was nuts because I start to pray before I open up the mailbox. One of the checks that we had been promised was that mail. 10 grand. We made payroll. And it never stopped. Just like people just kept, it was like the vision was catching on in our community. People, people saw our impact. We became valuable to our children, our community, our families. And um, we never looked back. Michelle also received help from another source, Sam Houston State Center for Community Engagement. She was asked to sit on the center's board. The goal, to build a connection between Sam Houston and the city of Huntsville. Professor Lee Miller is the center's co-director. So we do matchmaking between faculty members and community organizations that have a variety of needs so that our students get these real-world experiences uh, and and contribute to the public good. Now, selfishly, I went there because I needed help. But I got so much more than that. I started making partnerships, and I started getting all the resources that we needed, whether they were students or their expertise, professors, developing projects and programs that helped us. It's been a perfect marriage between the university and the club. Our kids have done 3D printing. They've gone to a biology lab. They've been authors and illustrators of their own book. They have been a part of the dance department and put on an actual performance at the Gatner Performing Arts. They've done it all. They've seen students that look like them come from the university to the club 
to offer volunteer time, their knowledge, or just to simply have fun. So she's been a leader for us, an advisor for us. Michelle has really uh, done a great job as a co-educator for our university students. Michelle Spencer and the students of Sam Houston truly give their all to help some of the most vulnerable children of Walker County. There are so many success stories she could tell, but one sticks out in her brain. It's of a young girl Michelle met early in her Huntsville tenure. She started with us when she was six years old. And this little girl was angry at the world. And life was tough for her. She fought every day. Um, I remember having to redirect her every day with her anger and I taught her how to count to 10 before she reacted, how to calm herself. And fast forward to she's 11, still coming to the club, and I made her a junior staff. And I told her, I said, you have the power to change how you see the world. She said, what do you mean? I said, well, I mean, you're in leadership role now. These kids are gonna look up to you. What do you want them to see? She said, well, I'm smart. And she went on all these adjectives and I agree, you're absolutely right. Now go show them. And she was my junior staff until she became a freshman. Every summer she'd come back, she'd work as junior staff. Did she get paid? Nope, but she had that title of leader. Smart girl. She graduated from high school, got her bachelor's degree, and sent me a text, her Instagram DM, Christmas time. And she said, Miss Michelle, I was sitting here thinking about all the things that you taught me. And she said, you taught me how to calm my inner struggle. Over the 17 years that I've been here, the change has been, some of it, it felt like it was overnight. Some of it felt like it took forever to get there. And the Lord was a part of all of that journey. Whether it was fast or slow, or whether it was complicated or not, or whether someone handed it to me. I knew that it couldn't happen without Him. Thanks for listening to Big Stories. It's produced and written by me, Cleon Wall. Music and post-production is by Gracie Davis. A big thanks to KSAM 101.7 FM and the Bearcat Sports Network. Make sure you watch BYU TV's Big Stories by logging on to BYUSN.com. Big Stories is a production of BYU Radio.